Hey, welcome to Hope City Church today. My name is Jason. Uh, I'm the pastor here at the church, and we're just excited that we get to be together today as we continue uh, this series that we are in. This is part two of a series called Dramatic. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out how to have joy in a world that's gone mad. And we talked last week about how it just feels as if uh, we are living in a society, in a culture where everybody's just mad, mad a lot or mad all the time. There's always something to be mad about, like uh, our boss doesn't respect us or our kid's coach doesn't play us enough or our friends aren't supportive enough or our spouse doesn't love us enough. And at the same time that our emotions are maybe moving towards anger, we also have more tools at our disposal to, to talk about what we're mad about. And so it just feels as if maybe the world is going mad. And so how do we have joy? How do we have joy living in that world? And, and specifically, how do we avoid and stay away from drama? Because we say we don't want drama. We say we don't like it. We don't want to be a part of it. We say that we're sick of the drama, but it's possible that we've become addicted to drama. It's possible that peace is too boring. It's possible that conflict gives us an adrenaline a rush. We, we've kind of become addicted maybe to he said, she said, or did you hear about how they got done wrong, or did you watch the news, or did you see their post, or did you hear about what she did or he did? We, we possibly maybe have become addicted to drama and peace is too boring. And, and so our guide to, to help us throughout this series to, to figure out how to have joy in a world gone mad is the Apostle Paul. And what we're doing is we're reading through the, the book of Philippians together. And last week we started by, by discovering how to stop feeling sorry for yourself. And we said that I find joy when I feel grateful for you instead of sorry for me. I find joy when I feel grateful for you instead of sorry for me. And so today we're going to continue in chapter one of Philippians where Paul is going to show us how to deal with difficult people. Does anybody know a difficult person? Let me see your hand if you know a difficult person. Two hands and a leg up in the air. I know some difficult people. Would anybody be honest enough to say, you know what? I can be a difficult person. Anybody? Anybody? Elbow the person you're sitting beside. Come on. If you're going to talk about dramatic, you got to talk about relationships because relationships have a profound effect on our attitude and, and our emotions. If I was to say to you, hey, um, this weekend, so-and-so is going to be coming over, and I said a name to you. Here's what I know about you and I know about me. Based on the name that I said to you, you would either be really excited or you would be really dreading them coming over, right? The, just, just hearing their name, just imagining them being with you, like causes an emotional reaction. I can't remember where I read it or heard it. Uh, I'm sure it was in a book somewhere, but I, I heard it described like this, that we all have three-minute friends, three-hour friends, and three-day friends. Some people are good for three minutes. Anybody know a three-minute friend? Come on, anybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Three, some people are good for three hours. We can spend the afternoon together. 
Some people are great for three days. Like time just flies, flies by. But there is no denying that relationships have a profound effect on, on our attitude, on our, on our joy. Certain relationships and losing certain relationships affect our view on life and, and the way we feel about life. And um, he reminds me of a story that I heard recently from a, a pastor friend of mine. And, and he was describing, he was telling that, uh, he, was, he was telling his church a story about a, a lady in the church um, who had 12 children, and she didn't start having children until she was 32 years old. Matter of fact, when she was 31, she was not married, and she told her pastor, you know, I was never really worried about it. I gave it to God. I was praying about it. And she told this story uh, about how she prayed for a husband. Maybe, you know, you want to use this. I don't know. But she went to the store and she bought um, uh, a man's suit, a men's suit, and she, she hung it uh, at the end of her bed. And, and every night when she would lay down, she would, she would pray this prayer, uh, looking at the suit. She would pray, Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant me it if you can. I've hung a pair of pants here. Please fill them with a man. And it worked. It worked. She found a man. So the, the pastor is telling this story to the church, and he says, everybody's laughing, you know, kind of like that right there. Everybody's laughing and everything, and, um, except this, this one, like, kid. And he's just sitting there, and he's, like, kind of deep in thought. And, you know, as pastors, like, as we're speaking, we're kind of watching people's faces, just so you know, heads up. And, um, and so he's not really sure what's going on. And, and then... Uh, like, like a week and a half later, the mom of the kid uh, that was not really laughing uh, wanted a meeting with the pastor. And so the pastor just assumed maybe, you know, the boy was offended by the story or something and, you know, told his mom about it. And so the mom showed up and said, Pastor, I need to know exactly what you said in your sermon. I'm very confused at what's going on right now. Like, Tell me exactly what you, what you said. And so the pastor told her the story, and actually she, she needed some clarification. And so as the pastor got done telling the story, she started laughing, and she said, it makes so much sense now because after that service, my son asked me to take him to the mall, and he purchased a bikini, and I had no idea what was happening how many people know some relationships bring more joy than others? Come on, right? Some bring more joy than others. So we're going to read just a few verses together today, and uh, we're going to start in, in verse 15. We're still in chapter 1 of Philippians. Uh, we're going to start in verse 15. You have a Bible in the seat or underneath the seat in front of you. Hopefully you grabbed a sermon guide when you came in every week. Make sure you grab these. We've got page numbers on there for you and notes that we're, uh, that we're using. And uh, let me just remind you what is happening in Paul's life, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this. He has been under arrest for two years. He is chained to prison guards. Most uh, theologians and historians believe 24 hours a day. He is chained to a, to a prison guard. Oh, and by the way, he's innocent. He, he's falsely imprisoned. 
And his dream, Paul's dream for his life was to be able to go to Rome and to stand in front of of Caesar and preach the gospel. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, and now here he is. He did make it to Rome. He will stand before Caesar, but he's not a preacher. He's a prisoner. His life has taken a turn, and um, it's just not ideal. It's not an ideal scenario by any means. And while he's in prison, he is getting updates about uh, things that are happening in different churches that he's a part of or that he helps start. People are sending him letters, sending him updates about what's going on. And the updates are mostly good, uh, mostly positive updates. But he is um, also getting updates about some people who are trying to cause problems. He's getting updates about some troublemakers and some, some preachers, specifically some leaders, church leaders, who are, are trying to cause problems. So even though he's not there, and even though he's under arrest, and, and, and he's under house arrest and chained to a guard, Paul is still having to deal with difficult people. He's still having to deal with some dramatic, difficult, challenging people. And what we're going to read just in these, in these five or six verses together, we're going to see how Paul dealt with difficult people and how we can do the same thing. So Philippians chapter 1, hopefully you found it by now. We'll start with verse 15, and we're going to read to verse 20 together. Here's what it says. It says, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful, uh, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, This will lead to my deliverance. One more verse, verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Now specifically, Paul is dealing with preachers, pastors, church leaders who who can't stand him, right? That's what he's dealing with. And, and they, are, they, they, they can't stand him so much that they are going out of their way to preach in a certain way and to talk about him in a certain way that they, they, would hurt, they wanted to hurt him. Now, I'm, I'm almost certain that's not what you're dealing with. Uh, that, that, that's not necessarily the difficult people that you are dealing with, but you are dealing with difficult people. You are dealing with difficult people. Now, before we go any further, let me just throw a little disclaimer out there that not as many people don't like you as you think, okay? Because you're not that important, okay? And so in order for people to have an opinion about you, they have to think about you, and most people are not thinking about you, okay? So as we're talking about difficult people, they don't, it's going to be really tempting to be like, yeah, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And I mean, I've got haters. And like when people talk about having haters, you don't have haters. Like nobody, you're not that important. You're not important enough to have haters, okay? There's not a long list of people that, that, that can't stand you. But there probably are a few. You, there are some difficult people in your life. But, but 
but not, not as many as you think because people don't, you think about people thinking about you more than people think about you, okay? So, so let's just kind of throw that out there. But Paul's dealing with some of these guys, and, and what he says, and what we just read, he said, look, there's a really large group of people who love me, and there's a few people who loathe me. And I think probably all of us could say that uh, about, about our lives, that there's a lot of people who love us. There's an even larger group of people who have no opinion about us. And then a few people who maybe are, are against us. And in verses 15 through 20, Paul shares his frustrations about people who are working against him. Now, he doesn't use this phrase, but I, I would like for us to use this phrase tonight. Let's just call these people joy killers. Joy killers, right? Like, we all have some joy killers in our, in our lives, those people that when we come in contact with them, when we're with them, they just suck all the joy out of the room. Does anybody know a joy killer? Come on, let me see your hand. Yeah, yeah. Now, I haven't, I haven't been listening in to your, your house. I don't have the passcode to your Alexa. No, you're, nobody's been talking to me, okay? I just came up with some general examples of some joy killers. So if this hits home, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? It's not me, all right? Nobody's been... Nobody's been talking to me, okay? But as we think about some of the joy killers in our life, maybe, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe your marriage is struggling and it feels like the person you're married to is determined to make you angry or to hurt you or to start a fight with you. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe there's some baby mama drama. Maybe there's some divorce proceedings, some custody battles, and they go out of their way to make your life difficult. Maybe it's a boss or a coworker, and every day you're driving into work, you're thinking about how you have to deal with them, and you know they're going to cause a problem. What about this one? Maybe it's a teenage son or, or daughter, and every conversation is a fight. You're just in a season right now where, where they're just difficult. They're just difficult. And we could give more examples because there are more examples of different areas in our life where we have to deal with difficult people. So here's the question, what do we do? What do you do? How, what do you do? How do you have joy? How do you keep your joy when you have to deal with, with difficult people? Do you lock yourself in your house? I, that sounds good to me. Uh, that probably won't work. Do you never answer the phone? Do you not go into work, you know? I mean, you could try those things, but that's not, that's not going to, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work. What we're gonna see in these verses that we read together and what Paul is teaching us in these verses is that joy is a choice and that joy is my responsibility. As we read these verses together, we see that, that Paul believed that joy was a choice. And that joy is, is my responsibility. Joy cannot be taken from me. Your joy cannot be taken from you. You have to choose to give it away. You have to choose. It's a choice to give it away. So here's what I want to do. I want to read back through these verses, a couple of uh, uh, verses together. We read them. Let's highlight. Let's pick a couple of out and see how we can have joy, keep our joy when we're dealing with difficult people. Look at verse 17. Let's, let's look at that one. He says, those others, talking about those people who loathe him, he said, those others, they don't have pure motives. 
when they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. In other words, like let's just modernize this a little bit. He's like, they some jokers. They are selfish. They are insincere. They, they, they're out to get me. They got agendas, right? But then look at the next line, verse 18. He says, but that doesn't matter. But that doesn't matter. I love the ESV translation. It, 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 uh, it says, uh, it says um, what then? He's like, you know, they're crazy and they're insincere. They, what then is what the ESV says, which really just another way of saying, so what? Paul's like, man, I, let me tell you about some of my people I'm dealing with. Just like selfish and, and just, I'll, you can't believe a word they say. And then he says, so what? So what? I got selfish, insincere people in my life. They cause me pain. And I still have my joy. Both things are possible. They are a problem, and I still have my joy. It can be true on, on both sides. How can he say that? How could Paul say that? Obviously, Paul's never met your boss, right? How could Paul say that? I mean, we know that Paul didn't have children, but if we didn't know, we definitely know he doesn't have teenagers, Right? Because, because if he knew my teenagers, if he knew my boss, the people I sit beside at my job, if he knew the apartment complex that I lived in and how often the cops were there and who I, like he wouldn't be able to say that I could have people who are problems and joy. We, we want to come up with reasons why it doesn't apply to us, but it does apply to us. It applies to every one of us that joy is my responsibility. My joy is my responsibility, and joy cannot be taken from me. I have to choose to give it away. It sounds too good to be true, but it's not. And Paul's not teaching some, like, mind over matter, you know, psychology thing to where you psych yourself out. No, no. He, he specifically gives three things that he does, three things. That, it's three I statements he makes. I'm going to show them to you in just a second. But he gives us three I statements of choices that he makes because he believes that joy is his responsibility. And just so you know, the three things that Paul does when he's dealing with difficult people is not the first three things that you think to do when you're dealing with people. Like he didn't want to slash their tires, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, get them fired or any. That's not, he, he doesn't, his advice is not tell them off, you know, or anything like that. That's not what he says. His advice, just like last week, is kind of counterintuitive, a little bit countercultural for how, how we can have joy. So let me show these to you. Three things he does, three things we should do when you have to deal with difficult people. If you have, if you have your sermon guide, write this in. Number one, he says, continue to rejoice. This is the first I statement that he makes, and it's in verse 18. He says, so what? Whether the motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So, here it is, if you're able to mark this in your Bible. So, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. That's the first thing he does, continue to rejoice. Now, we typically think of rejoicing as uh, something that a joyful person does. If I have joy and feel joy, then I will rejoice. And I guess that's probably true. 
But it's also true that actions precede feelings as well. Joy is a noun, something that you, you have. But rejoice is a verb. It's an action. It's a choice. And you don't have to feel joy to rejoice. Now, if you look up the definition of rejoice, here, it's, it's really fancy and deep. Here's the definition. To feel joy or to show joy. So there are times when we rejoice because we feel joy. But there are other times when we are rejoicing, we are showing joy, even though we don't necessarily feel joy. So, so Paul says, like, yeah, their motives are wrong, and they lie, and they twist stuff, and they're out to get me, and they want to make my life miserable. But I will show joy, and I will continue to show joy. Is what he says. Now, I want to read another verse to you. It's, it's, um, it's Psalm 118. It's on your, it's on your sermon guide there. But um, you've, maybe you've heard this. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a famous psalm a little bit. But it's in Psalm 118. And, and this, is, this is what it says, verse, uh, verse 24. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will, what's that word? Rejoice, Rejoice and be glad in it. I love Psalm 118 because it shows us that rejoicing is a daily choice we make and rejoicing ignites gladness. Look at it. That's what it says. It doesn't say this is the day the Lord has made and if I feel joy, I will be glad, which is typically how we kind of think about it. Hey, it's Tuesday, and if Tuesday doesn't stink, I'll be glad about it, right? But that's not what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul says, today is God's day. God made today. I'm breathing. I woke up. It's God's day. And I will make the choice to show joy. And when I show joy, I will be glad. I will be glad. So often we think that we have to feel before we act, but it's also the act that helps us feel. You say, well, I'd smile more if people were nicer. Guess what? If you'd smile more, people would be nicer. Well, I'd be kinder if, if, you know, if I felt better. Well, you know what? If you will be kind, you're going to feel better. I would rejoice if I felt joy. If you will rejoice, you will feel more joy. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, it just ain't that easy, Jason. I didn't say it was easy. Apostle Paul didn't say it was easy. Hey, I got some easy advice for y'all. Show joy. <laughs> he didn't say that. How do you rejoice when someone is making your life miserable? Like, that's cute, Jason. That's fine. Like, I really got, like, really difficult people. Like, real difficult. Like, like legal action coming against me. I got... I got custody battles. I got, I got a boss that wants to get me fired. How do I deal with miserable, like people who are trying to make my life miserable? It's a valid question. It's a great question. And just so you know, I've been thinking about it like for a long time leading up to this sermon because I, let's don't just stay at the surface. Let's really try to figure out what we can do with this. How can you rejoice when you are dealing with someone who is trying to make your life miserable. I think the best way that we could find a way to rejoice would be to take the word rejoice and to split it apart. 
And when you split the, the, the word rejoice apart, you, you get re and then joice. Rejoice. So we could say it like this, that we, we could say it's re, rejoy, rejoy. And we re-stuff all the time, right? We recycle materials so we can use them again. We re-gift gifts. Any re-gifters in the room? Come on. We re-give gifts that someone else will like better than us, hopefully. We repurpose furniture so it can look new again. So what if we figured out a way to reuse joy? What if we figured out a way to, to re-joy? Now listen, no one's asking you to be happy about your meeting with your boss. But remember, you don't have to feel joy to rejoice. So what could you re-joy in your life to help you rejoice? Now just so you know, for Paul, it was thinking about people hearing the message of Jesus Christ. This is what he said. I'm not making this up. Look, look back at what he said. He said, I got people that are selfish and they're not sincere and they're trying to cause me pain. So what? Because the message of Christ is being preached either way. In other words, Paul is saying when, when life is awful and people are awful, if I rejoy that feeling that I get when I find out that people are hearing about Jesus Christ, I am able to rejoice in the middle of a circumstance that I normally wouldn't be able to rejoice in. Is it possible that we could tap into things that bring us joy when we're having to deal with these difficult people? I just came up with a couple of examples. What if when you're dealing with that teenager who is driving you crazy, you were able to re-joy the feeling you felt when you found out you were pregnant? or when you held them in your arms, because you felt joy, could we re-joy it? What about when like, you're driving into work and you're dealing with that boss, could you like, re-joy the feeling you felt when you found out you got it, the job, your prayer was answered? What about when you're dealing with that spouse who is, who is hurting you? What if you were able to re-joy what it felt like to walk down the aisle? Or to know that you found some, some, somebody. And listen, if none of these work, we can always, if we are believers in Jesus, if none of those work, we can always rejoy the fact that we're saved and that our eternity is set and we get to be with Jesus forever. So, so even if my boss stinks, I've got Jesus. Even if my spouse stinks, I've got Jesus. Like, we can always rejoy Jesus, but maybe we could rejoy some other things. And so Paul says he will rejoice, and he's going to continue. He's just going to keep rejoying things because Paul says, my joy is not dependent on what they do. My joy comes from something else. My joy, my joy comes from something else. And so every time I have to deal with them, I'm just going to figure out something to rejoy. I'm going to reuse something that gives me joy. So the first thing we have to do when dealing with difficult, dramatic people is continue to rejoice. But let me give you, let me give you another one. Number two, live with expectation. This is the second I statement that Paul made. Look at verse 20. He says, for I, here it is, fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but continue to be bold for Christ Jesus. 
It's easy when we're surrounded by miserable people or difficult people or dramatic people to lose focus of the bigger picture. But, but Paul says, yeah, these people hate me and they're trying to hurt me, but I'm expecting good things. Like these jokers are out to get me, but I'm expecting good things. You ever know somebody like that? It's like, why are you so happy all the time? Paul's not just necessarily talking about happiness, but he is talking about expectation and hope. If you go back and you, and you translate this fully expect uh, in the original language, it literally means to strain your neck forward. So, so imagine like when you're trying to see the wreck on the other side of the interstate and you're like straining your neck forward or when you're in a crowd and you're shorter than everybody else and you're like on your tippy toes and you're straining to see ahead. Paul says, these guys are, are miserable and they're trying to make my life miserable, but I am, I am up on my tippy toes, straining my neck forward, looking to the future of what God is going to do. And I'm expecting good things, hopeful things. Misery loves company. Miserable people want to make you as miserable as they are. But it's our responsibility to strain our necks forward and to look past what we're having to deal with and look to the future and expect good things. What does that look like? Maybe you live in that apartment complex I was talking about, and every day it feels like there's drama or the cops are out or whatever. Joy is our responsibility, so I got to pay my rent. I got to be a good renter. But I'm also living with my neck strained forward, fully expecting God to bless my career and my life and give me the means. Like, I'm not living here forever. God's going to do some good things. You're working with some awful people. It's my responsibility to show up, faithfully be a good employee, but I am working with my neck strained forward, knowing that this is just the beginning of my career. That this is just a stop in where God is taking me, and I don't, I don't have to expect this the rest of my life. I can expect something better. When your teenager's causing all kind of problems in your family, it's your responsibility to love them, but also to like get on your tippy toes and strain your neck forward and look into the future a little bit because this is a season, and to fully expect that my child will love Jesus. My child will live their life for Jesus Christ and marry somebody amazing and give me great grandchildren. Come on. I'm straining forward. I'm looking for that. Because right now I want to kill them. But it won't always be like that. Because I will have grandbabies at some point. Maybe that spouse is incredibly difficult right now. Love them. But also live with your neck strained forward on your tippy toes knowing that God's going to touch their heart and grow them. It won't be like this forever. Don't let difficult people get you to stop dreaming or stop praying big dreams. There is a joy that comes from living with expectation. If the, if the circle of people you're spending your time with are, are cynical and down, downers and doubters, it's going to be really hard for you to find joy, but you connect yourself with some dreamers and some people who live with expectation and hope, just expecting good things. You will begin to feel joy. Let me give you one more. So he, he says, uh, I continue to rejoice. He says, uh, I fully expect, I live with expectation. Let me, let me give you one more. Number three, Paul says, when these chokers are like trying to make my life awful, 
Number three, I trust God's plan. It's in verse 20. Again, we already read 20, but you can keep reading. He says, I fully expect and hope that I'll never be ashamed, that I'll continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And here it is, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ. Paul, while dealing with fake, insincere troublemakers, says, I'm going to keep rejoicing. I'm going to keep expecting great things, and I am going to trust that God has a plan. Paul Paul has to trust, like, God, I don't know why I'm in this prison because I didn't do anything wrong, but I trust that you're going to do something great with this. I don't know why I live in this neighborhood. I don't know why I live in this apartment complex. But I trust that I'm not just here, but I'm here on assignment for the people I live with, around. I don't know why I have this job. I wish I had a better job, but I'm trusting that, God, this is the job, your plan for my life. I don't know why they won't leave me alone, God, but I'm trusting that you are working on something. I don't know why it's not getting better, God, but I am trusting your plan that ultimately it will be good and better. I trust God. Trust God's plan. I trust where God has me. I I trust who, who God has me with. And Paul isn't sure Is he going to get out of prison? He's not sure if the guys who are trying to hurt him will ever stop. But all of that is out of his control. He can't control the legal system, and he can't control the people who are trying to mess with him, and he can't control what they're preaching and what they're saying. So he focuses on what he can control, his joy. And what brings him joy is trusting God's plan. And trusting that God's plan for his life will be good. Because joy is my responsibility. I choose to rejoice. I choose to live with expectation. I choose to trust God's plan. Because what's happening around me cannot take what's happening in me unless I give it away. But if I don't want to give it away, I don't have to give it away. Because Joy's my responsibility. So we rejoice, we expect, and we trust. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. That in, in those seasons and in those times, God, where it feels like that everybody's against us, or in those times where it feels like nobody's on our side, we never have to doubt that you're on our side because you sent Jesus. And when we didn't have a way to know you and we didn't have a way to get to you, you made a way through Jesus. And so God, if nothing else, when we're dealing with difficult people in our life, help us to remember that we've got Jesus So we can rejoice, we can live with expectation and trust that you're up to something with our lives. No matter what's happening around us, God, 
Help us to hold on to the joy that is in us, the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.